those came in as we close out our series on unpopular radical discipleship. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? I have read that the attention span uh, for the average person today is about 23 minutes, even for a sermon like this. Uh, some, uh, some of you will say, well, then why do you preach longer than that? Well, it's because I know that for men, it's about 13 seconds, and that means the ladies are ready to listen to about a 43, 45-minute sermon this morning, but the attention span is not always what it should be. But I want to talk to you about paying attention when it comes to kind of wrapping up what we've been talking about, unpopular radical discipleship in a rebellious world. We struggle to pay attention, but if you've got your Bibles, the passage I want you to pay attention to is found in 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. And by the way, uh, Brian, I appreciated the opportunity two weeks ago to share some of uh, what God's doing in the seven summits as well as God's uh, grand vision for the home book that we give out in that first summit and and uh, to share that with our Awana leaders from Northeast Georgia last, uh, last Saturday was a joy for me. Uh, really enjoyed being a part of that whole day there at Hebron. All right, found your place. First Timothy chapter 4, it says, Command and teach these things. No one should despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come... Give attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the counsel of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Be conscientious about yourself. Some translations right there say pay attention, right? Pay attention to yourself And not only to yourself, to your teaching, persevere in these things. For by doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There were some things that Paul was calling Timothy to pay attention to. And he was asking Timothy to remind his congregation, the church where he was pastoring, to pay attention. Father, help us to be attentive this morning to what the Spirit of God would say to us. But Lord, help us to learn to live lives to where we are paying very close attention to who you are and what you've called us to be about. Not just on Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes, but every day of our life, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. We pray that we would be a people paying attention to what you've given us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Attention can be a hard thing for us sometimes. I, I remember when I was uh, in student ministry, and I would get so frustrated on a Sunday morning, and I would see these big guys that I just saw playing football on Friday night, and so I knew that they had the ability to stay with something for a long period of time, and I, I knew that they could pay attention when their uh, coach was talking to them and trying to get something out of them, and Then they would go deer hunting on Saturday morning after staying up late on Friday night. They would go deer hunting on Saturday morning, and they would listen and hear every leaf that rustled in the wind. They would hear every twig that broke. Why? Because there might be a big buck. So whether it was watching a quarterback's eyes on a Friday night or listening for that trophy buck on Saturday morning, I knew these guys for hours could keep 
their focus on something. And then on Sunday morning, we would be in worship, and it would be exciting, and I would see them with their hands on the back of the chairs, leaning over. The preacher would be preaching, and I would see them writing notes to the girl sitting next to them. And I thought, now, they could pay attention on Friday night, and they could pay attention on Saturday morning. Why can't they give attention to the things of God? And then it hit me, and I, I relayed as much on Wednesday nights and youth meetings. We pay attention to what we think is important. We pay attention to what we think matters. And sometimes we lose attention because we're simply not interested in the subject matter or in the person that we're talking to or in the case of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one that we're talking about. If he is important to us, we give our full attention to him as our Lord and Savior. Ladies, have you ever been frustrated because your husband couldn't pay attention to what you were saying? I saw one man put on Facebook recently. He said, my wife just out of the blue made this statement. You haven't heard a word that I've been saying, have you? Obviously, he had not been paying attention. Sometimes we get distracted. There's something more important. I've been in convention halls with preachers of the gospel, other, other Baptist pastors, right? I've been in convention halls where you're trying to have a conversation with them, and they're looking over your shoulder to see if somebody more important walks by so that they can have a conversation with them. We give attention to what we believe is important in the moment. Paul had left Titus in Crete. This was sometime after his first imprisonment, before his second imprisonment for preaching the gospel. And he's going back, he's trying to strengthen the churches, and he had left Titus in Crete to give attention to some things that you can read about in his letter to Titus. And then on his way to the area of Macedonia, he drops Timothy off at Ephesus, where shallow discipleship had left a church vulnerable to legalism. Some people were coming in and trying to add something to the gospel of grace that Paul had preached. There were false teachers with selfish, manipulative agendas. Some of these false teachers that uh, he would refer to have already been excommunicated. And so the church had been somewhat vulnerable. And Paul had warned the elders at Ephesus that if you're not careful, if you don't take heed to yourselves and to the flock of God, you can read this in Acts 20. He says, if you aren't careful, if you don't take heed to yourselves and to the flock of God, these false teachers are going to come in like ravenous wolves. Now, a shallow church can be a popular place. A shallow church can scratch itching ears and draw a big crowd, but a shallow church will be a vulnerable church and they will swallow anything false teachers throw at them with hook, line, and sinker. And so just don't believe that just because a place is popular that it's genuine. So he's dealing with this. They were vulnerable. And so Timothy's job was to straighten some things out as a young pastor in this church. Paul reminded Timothy of some things that demanded attention. He says, pay attention to these things. Pay close attention to what I'm about to share with you. Radical discipleship in a rebellious world calls us to give attention to things that some people aren't really paying very close attention to. 
And when I use that word radical discipleship, I think when we look at Scripture, it's really just normal discipleship. It's really just doing what we are called to do and being who we are called to be. But in this world, in their eyes, they'll think, man, that's, that's radical. Those are some fanatics living in the neighborhood down the street from me. Man, they're serious about their faith. Pay attention. What does he say pay attention to? Pay attention to the message that you are preaching, Timothy. First and foremost, he says, pay attention to the message that you are preaching. Command, verse 11, and teach these things. To command meant to get beside. In the Greek, it's para, which means come along beside of. Angelo, we get our word angel, our messenger from. He goes, but as that messenger who comes along beside them, you're going to command some things. It's, you need to understand, get in their ear, Timothy, about some things. And then he says to teach, explain what it is you want them to understand, and tell them why they need to understand it. Now, you can teach without being a preacher. The idea of preaching in Scripture is with a view toward persuasion to bring people to a point of decision or life change. But he says your preaching should always contain teaching. And I realize there are some pastors even that uh, are proclaiming the gospel today that will kind of make fun of the pastors who feel called to be pastor teachers. But he says, Timothy, in your preaching, there needs to be teaching and you need to explain what you believe and why you believe it. And I would say this should carry over into our homes as moms and dads. You need to be teaching your children what they believe and help them to understand why they believe it and what makes them different in this world and what makes them might, what might cause them to stand out as radical disciples in a rebellious world. If you just preach it to them, that emotional energy behind your preaching as parents or my preaching as a pastor will over time wear off. It might stir up a little passion for a moment. It might get a, a little bit of zeal in them without knowledge, but that will not be lasting. We have to teach foundational truths of what we believe and why we believe it. They need to know how to give a defense of their faith. What things? He says you need to be clarifying the false doctrines, and give the truth. If you go back and look at verses 6 through 10, he's explained what things. He says, point out these things. Point these, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. As Timothy had learned from Paul, the clear, straightforward gospel of grace in Jesus Christ and then he says, have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Would to God we would give our spiritual being the kind of nourishment that we give our bodies when it comes to exercise and, and diet and the other areas of attention that our bodies get. He says, that, that's of some profit, but you need to be nourished in the truths of God's Word. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. In fact, we labor and we strive for this because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of everyone, especially of those who 
believe. Christ is the only way of salvation for anyone and everyone. And for those who believe, they have been given the right to be called the children of God, John 1.12 says. And so that's why a paradigm like the seven summits was so important for discipleship. That we're saying it's important that you're teaching in your home that God's love should permeate everything that you do. And that you should learn to present the gospel. As our life group this morning, Pastor Terry was talking about how to share the gospel. You should learn how to present the gospel in your homes and in your schools and in your community. I get excited about the fact that so many of the young people that we baptize are are the result of parents calling us, Pastor Ben, and saying, will you talk to my child? They trusted Christ at home. Will you kind of follow up and make sure we're kind of on on the right track, on the same page that they really understand it? I get fired up when people get saved at church and at camps and revivals, but when it's happening in the home, I just see the, the Lord smiling on moms and dads who are learning to present the gospel of Jesus Christ and teach them that the Bible is true and that you can live holy in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can discover your mission and your calling in life. When we're paying attention to the message that we're preaching and they're embracing it, there is no greater joy as John the Apostle would write, then to know that my children, I know he was talking about children in the faith, it's true of biological children and children in the home as well, but he says, no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth, that they're getting it, that they're understanding it, and they're walking in it, they're living it out. I love to see so many of you discovering the truth of God at work in your life, but I get no greater joy than when I see my children walking with the Lord, desiring to serve the Lord. There's no greater heartbreak than when your children reject that, but you want to see them walking with God and experiencing God's best for their life, leading, as we say in our mission statement, our nation, the nations, our neighbors, the next generation to know, love, and serve Christ when we see a generation desiring to do that, when we've instilled that not only in this pulpit and in our small groups, but in the home, then we're a church that's experiencing radical discipleship in the midst of a rebellious world. Verse 13, he says, until I come, give attention, pay attention to this, the public reading, exhortation, teaching, He's saying, go over this. The the word there for reading meant to to go over it in a public way. Let them hear you open the Word of God and explain what it means. Exhort. The the word of exhortation there is is kind of like for those of you who have been in a weight room before and you had a spotter, that person who's helping you out, but they're also yelling and encouraging for you, come on, you can lift this, you can do this, you got this, I'm right here helping you, but you keep on pushing And so that's what an exhorter is in the life of their brothers and sisters in Christ and in their home and in their church. You're to be going over it. You're to be exhorting it. You're to be teaching and explaining it. It's not just the pastor's job, even though it's the pastor's primary responsibility, as Paul would tell Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. But all of us are to be proclaimers and teachers of truth. What if this is the only place people are getting it? How can we survive? I remember I used to love when usually it was a payday for my dad, but when my dad would come home from work on a Thursday when we were young, and maybe it was a good payday, and maybe he'd work some overtime, but he said, we're going out to eat tonight. And in the back of our mind, we were thinking this, I hope this means Charlie Williams Pinecrest Lodge. Anybody remember? 
You know what I'm talking about? Back when they did it family style and they just kept bringing the bowls of anything and everything. I mean, whether you wanted catfish or steak, it was on the table. But I remember thinking, man, we're going out tonight. And I hope this means. And, and that's what it usually did on a Thursday night that was payday, right? Charlie Williams, Pie and Chris Lodge. We didn't eat out much. Usually it was home. And, 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 and thank God, Mom cooked good veggies. And, and we always had deer meat and ground beef. And you named it in the fridge. And if, if we were going through difficult times, it was just a lot more deer meat than beef, if you know what I'm saying. But, but I loved when we would go out to eat. But if that was the only time we ever ate, and you can tell by looking at me, it's not the only time we ever ate, then we would have been in trouble if we would have said, look, when we go out, that's when we eat. But when we're at home, we, we, we kind of work and we play, but we don't eat. And thank God my dad also had a garden, a skill that I did not inherit that was passed on past me to Toby. But my dad had a garden, and there, there were uh, fresh veggies and you know corn and tomatoes and things like that. And, and my mom knew how to do the fried green tomatoes and squash and okra. And I'm, some of you are like, can we just quit church and go home and eat now? But see, eating at home could be just as good as going out. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the only place you need to study God's Word, there is biblical prescription for corporate gathering of the body of Christ for the Bible teaching and preaching and learning together in small groups and all that we provide here. But if this is the only time you're eating, you're going to be in trouble. And so we need to be taking this and we need to be, listen, dad, you need to be the grill master, not just before the steaks and the chicken at the grill. You need to be the grill master before this word, sharing it with your wife and with your children, helping them to understand what it means. And when they come to you with problems and struggles and trials and you say, well, listen, the Bible says, this is what it says. This is why it says it. Let me explain how it applies in this situation in life. Watch the message that you're preaching. Pay attention. Pay attention to it. Secondly, he says, pay attention not only to the message that you're preaching, but to the model that you're presenting. What kind of example are you providing in your home? Look at verse 12. No one should despise your youth. He's telling Timothy here, don't let them look down on them because you're young. I used to read that because when I was a teenager, I thought Timothy must be a teenager. That's what youth means, right? We have a youth group. Timothy could have been in his late 20s. We don't know exactly. Could have been in his early 30s, but he was younger than many of the elders of that day. And he says, Timothy, you're a young preacher. Don't let them look down on you because you're young, but be an example. Be an example. Peter would tell the elders of the church Look, don't beat them up with manipulative tactics, but, but lead by example in 1 Peter 5. But he tells Timothy, you set an example in these areas, in, in your speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Set an example. Show yourself an example. Some translations are really a literal translation. He's saying, show yourself. Let them see in your life that you're living what you're preaching and that this way of life works. In verse 15, he says, practice these things. That means live it out. Live this out in your life. Practice these things. Some translations say, meditate on these things. I really like the New American Standard here because it gets the literal sense of the word. It says, get this, take 
pains. Take pains. In other words, you bust your tail, mom, dad. You bust your tail, pastor, minister to families. Bust your tail to live out what you're preaching so that they can see that it works. Take great pains. Now, I have a problem with pragmatism in general. Pragmatism basically is a philosophy of life that says, man, if it works for you, it works for you. If it works for me, it works for me. Whatever works is right. And, and being an idealist, a biblical idealist, believing that God's standard is true, we have to be careful of pragmatism, of just saying, well, listen, hey, whatever works for you works for you. Whatever works for me works for me. However, having said that, those of my generation and older, we need to understand something about the millennial generation, and that's that they're saying this. If what they're preaching doesn't work for them in real life, it's not true. If what they're preaching doesn't work for them in real life, it's not true. And so we need to be living what we preach, modeling by example the very truth that we say we believe. Will we be perfect? Not at all. But that doesn't give us an excuse to say, dads, that doesn't give us an excuse to say, moms and grandparents, do what I say and not what I do. We need to live by example. How did Paul put it to the church at Corinth? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. In Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God, but ultimately he was being able to say, look, as, as I imitate Christ, as I do what Jesus is doing, you need to do what I'm doing. Model it. Lead by modeling. General George C. Marshall, a name that some of you might recognize, most probably would not. He was chief of staff under FDR. He became secretary of state and eventually secretary of defense under Truman. After World War II, Winston Churchill referred to General Marshall as the organizer of victory. Well, that would be quite a compliment, wouldn't it? The, to have Winston Churchill refer to you as the organizer of victory. That's what I want to be for my family, right? An organizer of victory. That's what I want to be for my church, an organizer of victory. What a compliment. But it was said of General Marshall that when he was stationed at uh, uh, Fort Screven, that's Tybee Island. Am I right? Somebody help me out here. But when he was stationed there at Tybee, Fort Screven, in the early 30s, the place was in disrepair. All of the homes on the base needed repainting. All of the landscaping looked bad. It was just kind of an ugly location to be. They said rather than him making demands and commands for everybody to get out and to make it a better place, that he started just by saying, I'm going to paint my house. And he got out without help, and he began to paint his own house. He began to manicure his lawn. He began to do some landscaping to make his place look good. So his neighbors kind of thought, well, if he's a general and he's doing that, I guess we don't have an excuse. So they begin to do that. And they say that the example that he set caused the whole base to change its look. He set an example. He was a leader who could have made demands, but because he set an example, he changed the look of a place. And that would lead him to eventually, that mentality, that attitude of leadership by example would place him in high places 
over the next couple of decades. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do you sound like Christ in seasons of joy? Do you sound like Christ in seasons of sorrow? Do you sound like Christ in your speech in seasons of distress? Is your conduct like Christ when you're at work? Is your conduct like Christ when the party turns sour? Is your conduct like Christ when you're on a date, young people? Do you love like Christ? Look at all of these areas in verse 12. Speech, conduct, love. Do you, do you love as Christ loves? He says love your enemies and do good to those who would do evil to you. In purity, do you live a clean life recognizing that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? In faith, do you believe that God can do anything he desires to do as you submit to his lordship? It's been said many times, what you do, what you do, the model that you live, what you do speaks so loudly that people cannot hear what you say. Pay attention to the model that you're presenting. And finally, Pay attention to the manner in which you are progressing. Pay attention to the manner in which you are progressing. Go back to verse 15 where we left off. He not only says practice these things and be committed to them, he says so that your progress may be evident to all. He's saying, Timothy, I know that you're the pastor, but people who watch you over time should see progress in your life. means, Timothy, tomorrow you should be a better follower of Christ than you are today, and today you should be a better follower of Christ than you were yesterday. This is a hard thing to preach because I've been around here long enough that some of you have been able to watch me. And I hope that over 18 years I'm a stronger believer than I was 18 years ago. I know that that's not always the case with people that are put in op, given opportunities of leadership. But he says, your progress. Sometimes we have so much pride, and I have to say that whether you're a leader of a small group in our church, whether you're the pastor of this church like me, whether you're on the staff of this church, sometimes we have so much pride that we don't want to have any progress because we have to admit that where we were yesterday was not where we needed to be. And I pray that if I'm around here another 18 years, you'll say, Man, he's a much stronger Christian and a much stronger pastor than he was 18 years ago. He says, Timothy, your progress should be noticeable. So you need to, verse 16, what does he say? You need to persevere in these things. By doing this, you'll save both yourself and your hearers as they see you growing, as they see you persevere, as they see you literally. He says, stay under it. Stick with these things. You keep learning. You keep growing. You keep progressing. Howard Hendricks, who uh, is with the Lord now, but he's one of the greatest authors on mentoring and teaching. He was responsible for the, um, the seven, what did he call it, seven laws of the teacher. And law number one in the seven laws of the teacher was this. If you stop growing today, you stop teaching tomorrow. If you stop growing today, you stop teaching tomorrow. No wonder Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18, many of you have seen that written on postcards and letters and things that I've written before, 2 Peter 3.18, especially our young people, 
Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Grow in knowledge and grace. Grow in knowledge and grace. The day you stop growing is the day you stop teaching. Mom, Dad, we've got to be growing. Parents, grandparents, we've got to be growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. If we stop growing today, we stop teaching tomorrow. Our progress should be evident. I've been reminded by some friends lately Oh, me, I've got a 30-year reunion coming up. See, y'all thought the 20 was big, right, coming up. I've got a 30-year class reunion. Some of you are like, Pastor Robbie, just wait till it's 40 and 50. 30-year class reunion coming up. Uh, I haven't decided for sure if I'm going to be available to go. Quite honestly, being a pastor, you're always trying to say, well, is the price for the cater and all that? Am I paying for somebody else's alcohol since I'm not going to drink it? And you kind of, all this kind of stuff is kind of going through your mind. But 30 years, and I want to see some of these old friends. And it scares me just a little bit to think about it because everybody wrote this my senior year of high school. Do we have any seniors here? I think we've got a bunch of seniors coming up, right? My senior year of high school. They're real excited about it, I can tell. They will be about... 10 months from now. Woo. My senior year of high school, I remember yearbook signing day. We used to love that. Get out of class, go outside, picnic, and sign yearbooks, right? And this is what I saw again and again in my year. You, you can pull it out and read it to this day. Again and again and again. After they write all this phony baloney about what a great guy I am and all this people that didn't even know me, they would write this statement. Never change. That's right. Never change change. Stay the way you are. I've heard that one of the saddest things about some people going back to class reunion is the fact that some people never change. Some people never changed. You're like, man, they never grew up. They never came to know Christ or they, if they did know Christ or claimed to know Christ, they never grew in their faith. I would pray to God that if I go to my class reunion that somebody will say, man, that's not the Robbie Brown we went to high school with. Oh, oh, I hope I stayed faithful to the same gospel that I believed in. But I pray that God has done some things in my life that make me different today than I was yesterday. We should be in a constant state of change. As we close this morning, look at these words in Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, if you'll turn there, verses 12 through 14. We're getting ready to start a new church year. We're trying to drive home these seven summits. This is probably one of the most convicting confrontations in Scripture. The author of Hebrews says, For Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of God's revelation. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil evil. What was this author saying? He was saying, by the time you ought to be deeper in the things of God, you're still shallow. And again, a shallow church, a shallow body of believers can be a popular body of believers. 
God's not calling us, we said it from the beginning, God's not calling us to be liked by everyone. He's called us to be like Jesus. And we need to be growing deeper in the things of God, getting our roots deep, saturated with who he is so that we might make a radical difference in our homes, our communities, and ultimately in our world. Will you be a part of that? Are you one of those that by the time you ought to be a teacher in your home, in a small group in the church, by the time you ought to be leading others, you're still shallow. Let's grow deeper in the things of God and let's grow together. Would you bow your heads, every head bowed, every eye closed? Would you right now just kind of pay attention to your preaching? What's the message? What do you get passionate about communicating and relaying? in your home? What's the model? Can you truly look at your neighbors, the nations, the next generation, the people in your home, community, and workplace? Can you truly say, follow me as I follow Christ and know that they can watch you and though you're not perfect, know that you're genuine? What about the manner in which you're progressing? Are you more in love with Jesus, more knowledgeable of the things of God than you were five years ago, ten years ago? Do you have a hunger to grow even deeper in Him? Father, we submit ourselves to this process of change. If there's one here who's never trusted Christ, the one who died for our sins and rose again to give us life, I pray that today they would turn from sin and self and trust in Jesus. For the many of us who have, Lord, I pray that we would learn to pay attention to the message we're preaching, to the model that we're presenting in this world, to the manner in which we're progressing or not progressing. Draw us to yourself and empower us to be about the things you've called us to pay attention to, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.